I have just made a discovery and a kind of, well, based on a rediscovery. I'd already figured out how free energy happens um, some time ago, and I posted it in a video um, monologue on YouTube. This was before I had access or knew about Podbean or podcasting. And so I did my own kind of podcasts. Uh, somebody way back when called it Pillow Talks. Uh, because very often I'd lay down on the, and have a pillow behind my head and I'd give a talk and uh, all you did was see my face, um, my ugly <laughs> old face. But um, I did this video around the time that I did my provisional patent, which was 2019. So I don't know the exact date offhand. I didn't look at it closely. I have poor eyesight, but that's when I did the provisional patents and so that's probably when I did the video. And in the video, I speak about how free energy occurs, mathematically and observationally, and hypothetically in terms of, you know, simple reasoning in our head, thinking the thing through. Well, in examining or listening to the video and then pondering it some more, I realized that there's an alternative to what I describe in that video. Um, I, in that video, towards the very end, I, I it's like a two-parter. I put them together, and um, I um, I claim that supersaturating a capacitor causes reflectivity of any new energy entering the capacitor because it can't charge up any further because it's already saturated. So the excess energy bounces off immediately in reverse direction, causing the inversion of voltage relative to the current that's coming at that capacitor. And so that's how you get a 180 degree um, shift between voltage and current causing the generation of power. Well, how do you supersaturate a capacitor? Or do, you know, what I, I claim happens? Because um, it would be nice to know, you know, in practical terms. Well, in Paul Falstead's simulator, it's very easy. His transformers are ideal and they pass DC. How do you do that in a Berkeley Spice fa uh, family of simulators which assumes not only not an ideal transformer but that all your coils are copper wound and there's no iron there at all. Um, no uh, significant hysteresis to speak of unless you you know, put it in manually. And I never did because I wasn't sure how, and so I never did that. And so I did all, I had to do a whole different um, structuring of overunity circuit archetypes based on a presumption that ideal transformers don't exist, which in the world of current day convention is true. It doesn't exist because, <laughs> frankly, nobody knows how to build them anymore. Uh, a century ago, they did that, and Nathan Stubblefield did that, and he has it in his earth battery, but um, in any case. Um, so how do you do that when you don't have access to an ideal transformer? Well, it's really easy. You put a capacitor in line with the terminals of a, tr of a coil on either side of the coil. So attached to the terminal, each terminal of the coil, you, put a, you connect um, one side of a capacitor. And then the other side goes out to the rest of your circuit. And I've done several of these in LT Spice in which I can feed it. I th well, actually, I also did it in microcap.
in which I've, in microcap, I fed it DC, very low, like nanowatts, and it starts to oscillate between the two capacitors. It, the energy bounces back and forth across, uh, through the, the coil, and it literally produces over unity gain right away. Now, what is it doing? It's literally faking an equivalent version of a, uh, a pair or more of coils in a transformer passing DC. See, I uh, did a, a, a monologue on uh, Podbean a little while back that I theorized that the, the ability for a transformer to pass DC is predicated upon the ability for a transformer to not lose DC when it passes between one coil and the other. Because if it loses it, like the bottom of a bucket lacking a bottom, is not merely holes, but no bottom whatsoever. And so the minute you put water in, it's gone. And so how can you pass DC if you don't retain it in the core of a transformer? It'll never reach the other side to the other coil. It'll just disappear out into the environment or neutralized or whatever. It just goes away. So it never gets passed. Well... Now I can see a way to do that in, a, in an equivalent circuit. I think it's called Thefenin equivalency. You do another circuit that's like the other one to help you illustrate and understand what the other one is doing so that you can see very graphically, oh, now I get it. And so this idea of passing DC in an ideal transformer is graphically depicted by two capacitors connected in line with the two terminals of a coil, a single coil. And if you have a coil that's large enough, like 10 Henry's, yeah, that's the other stipulation I left out, <laughs> and the capacitances are very low, like 100 femto um, farads, which is a tenth of a picofarad, which just happens to be <laughs> 10 times less than what you can buy. <laughs> you can't buy a 100 femto farad capacitor, but you can buy 10 single picofarad capacitors and string them in line to get your mathematical Thefenin equivalency of 100 femtofarads for that singularity of capacitance among those 10 serial, serially connected capacitors all connected in a row, in a, in a line, in, in series, one after the other. So you need 20 of those picofarad capacitors, 10 on each side of a coil, and the coil is 10 Henry's to get this kind of result. Because the capacitance is so low, it can't hold on to anything anyway. And so it gets saturated super fast and stays that way. It never gets a chance to discharge. Because it never really charges up a whole lot in the first place. In order to get saturated. And so now you've got the passage of DC through a single coil much less two, because now you're holding on to it within the capacitors. And lo and behold, you, you get the Thefenin equivalency in a single coil, what you, what everybody is struggling or says is impossible to get in a transformer, now you're getting it in a single coil. The passage of DC through the coil, even though it's oscillating. And, and you never... I mean... <sighs> and you don't try to continuously add a DC offset bias. No, you don't. It's not necessary. 
All you have to do is charge up one or both, I forget which it is, capacitors with a pre-charged condition of one microvolt and then let go. And this, it, it, unlike a pendulum that, you know, you pull it to one side and let go and it swings and eventually due to entropy it slows down and comes to what appears to be a stop, although technically it never stops, it just keeps diminishing in force uh, and you can't see it anymore because it's too diminished to see it swinging. Um, but unlike that, uh, you let go and the thing grows in energy. Not only does it, it's negentropy, negative damping, it does the opposite. The amplitude of the oscillations increases over time and the damn thing explodes in your face. And all because you did the Thevenin equivalency of the passage of DC in a pair of coils by doing it in a single coil but, but a pair of capacitors and properly rated the, 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 the parameters of that pair of capacitors and that single coil in between them is properly um, rated for the correct value to produce these results. So it's amazing. It's, it literally boils down to the passage of DC through a coil, one coil, much less more than one. Just, you know, just, just the consideration of, uh, of doing it through one coil without continually supplying a DC offset. It's simply because you store it and you never lose it in a pair of very low-value capacitors in which you get, you manage to get the voltage inverted by the current by 180 degrees because now it reflects instantaneously off of the saturated capacitors and travels back through the coil in the opposite direction you applied the voltage. So now you get voltage squared divided by resistance within a framework of time giving you watts, what that video I'm going to link to at the bottom of this, um, underneath this recording, um, that's when you get the reversal of current, or if you prefer the reversal of voltage, not both, one or the other, not both, an exclusive, uh, either or, in which um, you have negative watts. You have the generation of power within a circuit. Fed very little from a prime mover outside to get the thing to become an, a generator of infinite self-amplification of power, reactive power, negative watts. Um, oh boy, that's a lot of mouthful right there. And so, you know, I always, for the last seven years, I've been bugging myself. I still don't understand where the free energy is coming from. I couldn't get my head, but Paul Fosted automatically, if you, is capable of giving you that in his simulator because his transformers are ideal. They pass DC. Why? Because they don't lose it. They retain it. And on the basis of that retention, not a DC offset, offset that is applied, but a DC, um, you might say, offset that is retained. And that's an important distinction. Because that's why it's free energy, because you don't have to give it anything extra. It's free. You get it for free. And of course, any reactive power, you can pass through a resistive uh, element, such as a heating element or a lighting element, and get free light, free heat, boil water, 
rotate a steam turbine, rotate a, uh, an electric rotary generator coupled to that um, rotary uh, steam turbine, and get all the electric power you want without recourse to nuclear power, coal, uh, gasoline, anything you can imagine that you used to use to generate electric power in a rotary generator situation. But um, now you just get it from the reactants um, arising from the input of a minuscule quantity of power. Because if you apply too much voltage, it, it suppresses this whole action. I think 10 volts was the maximum I found through experience, although for safety's sake, I usually tried to stay below like 3 volts. But, and then there is a minimum, and I think it's 1 femtovolt. Um, if you <laughs> want a review of your scientific notation, milli is one part per thousand, micro, one part per million, uh, nano, one part per billion, pico, one part per trillion, and femto, one part per quadrillion. Okay? So, what I normally choose is one microvolt because that's what um, the background voltage is in our environment. You, me, the trees, the plants... The radio tower broadcasting sta uh, stations uh, a mile away, it all t tends to, um, uh, what do you call it, um, statist statistically uh, iron out to an average. It all averages out to about 2, 3, no, maybe no more than 5 microvolts, so I just choose you know, 1 microvolt as a standard um, amount of energy to either precharge a capacitor in a circuit or a pair of capacitors in a circuit or apply continuously from a sine wave generator outside the circuit if that particular topology of circuit requires continuous input of, of sine wave power. So be it, but I keep it to one microvolt. And considering the amount of current that is allowed in, in many of my circuits, it amounts to being nanowatts or picowatts of input power. Sometimes I can use DC power uh, as my input from a battery or, a, you know, like a solar panel or something. Sometimes um, I can use a precharged capacitor of one microvolt. So there's all these different ways, but I have to keep it down because to satisfy uh, Foster's theorem of negative impedance, the generation of power, in which he doesn't tell you how to do it. He just says, oh, um, negative impedance. Um... Is, is what I used to call overreactance. When you get the circuit to overly react and give you the self-amplification of reactive power. Well, um, so this is like a follow-up um, presentation or monologue to the video that I'm going to link to underneath which precedes it in its line of reasoning. Um, you know, I, I did it, what is that, four years ago. So now I've had four additional years on top of the three years that I had at the time of, of experience with simulators teaching me the free, aspect, the free energy aspect of um, electrical engineering. Without any formal training to brainwash me to, to convince me it can't be done because I know now that physics lies. It misrepresents things in order to squelch um, innovation. And our self-reliance from paying energy from our single use of it. 
Although they claim uh, residential customers of the electric utility grid are not charged for single use, they're charged for reactive uh, use in case they do something to uh, recycle their energy in-house. But industry is not. Industry is disallowed from reusing, recycling its energy. And Jim Murray got into trouble with the electric company up in the state of Michigan when he tried to uh, implement uh, or successfully implemented um, a synchronous generator at uh, Bechtel Steel for their rock-moving equipment to reuse the electrical power to save on their electric bill. Uh, he, he was castigated but allowed, but then he was offered. And this is where it gets mysterious, and I get a little conspiratorial theorist. I become a conspiracy theorist, theorist in thinking that maybe somebody offered him the better job in order to get him to leave so that the electric utility grid could go back to, because in hindsight, that's what they did. The minute he left to a better paying job, they went into Bechtel and they said, no way are we going to allow you to recycle your energy in-house anymore with the use of a synchronous generator. You're going to have to go back to paying for single use, which is paying through the nose. And that jacks up our prices, giving us inflation we do not need to have. So you see how energy can add to the price of goods and services because of how the infrastructure of the electric utility grid forces industry to pay for its electric power. It's so obscene. I want to say absurd, but it's worse than absurd. It's obscene. It's truly obscene. And people call me obscene. <laughs> oh, good God. I'm honest. If that's obscenity, ah, I... Maybe I shouldn't live. Maybe you don't... Maybe the world doesn't deserve me because uh, that's backwards obscenity to call an honest person obscene. Whatever. <laughs> Just because I have the forthright... Uh, to uh, tell it the way it is instead of the way we all want to believe it is and go on with our life and ignore the way it is. I don't know. It, it's bizarre. It's, it's, it's amazing that life is actually getting better day by day. Despite all of this insanity, we continue to drag along like a bunch of anchorweights. Um, they'll all pass um, because things are continuing to get better. People do want the truth. They don't want lies. They don't want fabrication. Maybe not so much in this country, in the United States, but outside the United States, big time. And they get it big time because they're not heavily regulated like we are within the United States. We are so regulated. It's unbelievable. Even our knowledge is fabricated for us <laughs> so that we don't have too much truth, God forbid. We should become self-reliant by having too much truth. Anywho, <clears throat> so... If I talk mathematics like I did in the other video from four years ago, it's simply because I know lots of people are involved with that, and so I want to reach them. But I and and the simulator is purely nothing but mathematics. Yet it is predicated on over a century of expertise, theoretical mathematical uh, relationships of electrical engineering that work, regardless of whether anybody uh, wants to prove it, uh, good luck. You're not going to find a proof for reactive power, for the imaginary portion of reactive power. It's just, it does not exist in, in the physical world. Yet, over a century, at least dating back to Oliver Heaviside, 140 years of expertise, of testimonial expertise, of electrical engineers working in the field, back up 
the electrodynamic theory that is behind the operation of any true blue simulator that costs thousands of dollars. You know, they tend to be quite realistic. It's amazing LT Spice has a certain amount of real to re reality in it, but it's kind of uh, overly simplified to such a degree that if you want to get over Unity, you have to do it only in the most extreme fashion in which it explodes in your face instantaneously to infinity. It doesn't even take its time to get there. It goes to infinity right away. And so there's no way you can make anything practical out of that. So I, I don't like working in LT-SPICE. I worked in, in it a little while to understand the, the Newman motor, the Joseph Newman motor, fine. But, and, I, and I learned this technique of putting a, a low capacitance of 100 femto farads on either side of a 10 Henry coil in series. But it, it had its day. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I don't like working in it because it's just not practical to, get, to, to, um, to try to imagine in your brain, okay, that's nice, now how do I build it? I mean, LT Spice ain't going to help you. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not going to help you. And that's probably why I appealed to the public and I published my data when I successfully tweaked I, I, uh, an uh, a incorrect version of the Newman motor in LT Spice, but that was the only way to get the results that Newman claimed in his book. Half an ampere going back to the battery pack in reverse direction. Not counting the tremendous mechanical gain, just the electrical gain alone was all I was looking for. And I couldn't get it the way Newman described it in his book unless I changed the frequency beyond 30 RPM to something on the lines of uh, 6 million RPM. And then I got that over Unity. But of course, how do you get a rotating mass of uh, permanent magnets to rotate that fast? You cannot. But I published my data, and then Byron Brubaker of Wabash, Indiana, contacted me and told me that you know he gave Newman the secret way to change the motor, the design of the motor, and Newman never gave Byron the credit, claimed God gave him the information and blah 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 and demonstrated used that improved version to demonstrate over unity in order to run a sump pump pumping gallons oogles and oogles of gallons of water per minute the amount of force if you know anything about pumping water it takes a lot of force to pump water and yet only delivering half an ampere back to his battery pack yet all of this mechanical gain all because of that massive coil that his motor is based on but getting that electrical gain because of his replacing his permanent magnets with rotating canisters of helium um, and the canisters being constructed of a dielectric material PVC plastic and surrounded by an open coil and painted black to hide the fact of they're no longer uh, permanent magnets, and not allowing anybody else to touch them to get them to start to rotate by hand action. Oh, he goes and does it with his big muscled arms and puts on an act. Oh, this is really tough and difficult. And oh, are you kidding? A child could have done it, but he didn't let anybody touch it to find out. So he hid the truth, and it really disturbed me. And but I published the data. Byron got in touch with me, and then I read up on the action of helium. In a when you put helium in a rotating electrostatic field, it produces 
an electromagnetic varying field of its own at a very, very high frequency, and that's all I needed to verify from a second source what Byron was telling me. Um, because that's the only change you have to make in the Newman circuit is increase the rotation speed. And that alone gives you the overunity you're looking for, the electrical overunity that you're looking for. The, mag the, 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 the um, mechanical gain, gain is already there, but it's in the form of voltage, and you need current when running a motor. And the current is what is um, consumed when running a motor, not the voltage. But you do need that massive voltage to get the mechanical gain before you even think about how do you feed the thing current and in such a way that you get negative current going back to the battery pack. Um, so that's why it's mechanical gain only, because of that extreme voltage, which you're already getting from the battery pack. So, you know, he really, he was a country bumpkin. He really didn't do anything complicated, and yet it's the fact that he kept, a, kept it a secret is what makes it so magical, because we don't understand what he did. You know, unless you have somebody like Byron who told me, and now I tell you. Anyway, is way off topic to to this recording, but it, it you know the devil is in the details, and if you don't pay attention to all of the details, you'll miss the boat entirely, and you'll be treading water as as best you can, the water of ignorance, because you won't know. You know how do these inventors pull off over unity? Oh well, it doesn't exist. It defies physics. Blah. It, it's a bunch. Of, well, anyway. I don't want to get into that. I've already covered that in other posts and blogs and uh, podcasts, the the various frauds. But I just wanted to follow up my reaction to listening to this video from that I made four years ago, with now how I perceive things, and and now I and recognize now that I had already figured out where free energy came from. It's the passage of DC through a coil, in which you normally don't you know, get. But you can do it one way or another. If there's some way to build an ideal transformer, so be it. I still haven't been able to figure it out because I haven't been able to have the time or the money or both to do it, to, to experiment with my various ideas. I've been too busy making a living to survive every day. Um, but be that as it may, in the morning I take the time because uh, my work uh, demands is tends to be non-existent in the morning anyway. So... I can take the trouble to uh, look over these things, and um, I was just glancing at my uh, business cards, and I had a shortcut to this video from four years ago, and I thought, oh, what's that? And so I, I listened to the whole video, and, I, and, I, and then I have my reaction uh, monologue in this recording to that video, to having watched that video four years later. It's mind-boggling. I actually already figured out how free energy works. Now, there may be other ways. I don't know. You know, this is not an all-inclusive uh, claim that I'm making. It's just one way I finally figured it out, um, how free energy occurs, how reactive power can self-amplify all on its own. And it now it gives me two different possible explanations of, or f facets maybe is a better way to put it, of explaining... Um, what is the definition of the passage of DC, either through a single coil or between two coils magnetically that are magnetically coupled together? Um, it's not just 
the retention of DC in a coil or in the magnetic field between two coils. It's the storehouse of DC in a capacitor that never loses it. And so the capacitor cannot store energy anymore. It has to reflect it instantaneously. Um, and when it does that, Well, yeah, it shifts voltage uh, opposite to current by 180 degrees. And, well, let's see. Why does it still expand in amplitude? Just because it's generating power doesn't mean it should necessarily change its amplitude. Um, I guess, no, I still don't understand then why. Okay. But I'm a half a step closer. Okay, so I have to admit the fact that I really don't know still why free energy occurs. But it looks as if this is a half step closer to the goal of understanding. Because I've seen it occur in, uh, you know, the energy, um, the reactive power, uh, I mean, um, self-amplify in a simulator by a factor of 10. And that's only because simulators are enumerated in base 10 number system. In reality, it's probably uh, what base two, or it could, because actually I've read papers on the subject, and it is base two. Um, that's right. I have it in my special location on my website, devoted to parametric excitation. Um, I think the shortcut is is.gd forward slash paratexts plural. So that would be p uh, is dot um, gd. You know, independent Samuel dot God damn <laughs> forward slash um, P A R A T E X T S paratexts plural, and that should take you to the folder that has a whole bunch of stuff of people talking about parametric excitation in the format of how a pendulum swings, and I even have a graphic depiction of that in a GIF file that continuously shows how you can change the length of a pendulum at just the right moment to get the augmentation of power. Um, so, and there they, they do talk about how it self-amplifies at the rate of the power of 2. Now whether or not that's exactly the power of 2 or whether or not that's an um, observational um, uh, average or average uh, kind of thing because we can't really s we're not nobody's actually taking measurements to find out exactly how much it's amplifying by so maybe it's the natural logarithm base of e which is slightly more than two I, uh, as I recall if I'm not mistaken um, but somewhere in that ballpark of the power of two but the simulator, of course, is base 10, so it does everything base 10, unless uh, the hyperbolic turns into a nearly vertical, and then it really explodes, and then it's not um, base 10 anymore. <laughs> so it's something else, God knows what. And sometimes it's instantaneous, and you can't find out how quickly it grows because it's the simulator won't allow you to find that out. And so for all intents and purposes, as far as the simulator is concerned, it's, it's instantaneous which means it goes to infinity. So, uh, you know, maybe the simulator's crashing at that point. You know, maybe it just can't compute it anymore. It's possible that it just pukes or gives up or whatever you want to call it. All right, I think I've talked enough. <laughs>